Hello there, welcome to Rome FM. Here we dive into the minds, workflows, and machinations of the Rome cult, the believers of Rome research. My name is Norman Cella, and I am on a mission to deconstruct wisdom from all walks of life so we can understand each other better. In this episode, we talk with Dalton Maybury, who is a YouTuber, video editor, and tweet thread maker. At 20 years old, trying to find the intersection between church and technology. His YouTube channel, which is his name, Dalton Maybury, focuses on tech, productivity, and lifestyle with a lot of tutorials and guides on many network thought thinking tools, including Rome. We talked about the dark times, how he stumbled into Rome Research the tool, his workflow when capturing information in all formats, the notion of remixing past knowledge in order to create something original and new. We dive into the traditional definition of creativity and the Rome cult and why he left it. This is a topic that is extremely dear to me because Rome Research is a tool that is amazing and with that comes a community. But to what extent can a community be welcoming Rome cult with its cultish vibes can make a potential negative impression on loads of incoming users and can result in negative experiences. So I talked to Dalton about his experiences with Rome and why he moved to Obsidian so that we can learn from his experiences and really take the first steps towards building an inclusive Rome culture and Rome community. Just a little preface to this episode, this was recorded quite a while ago, and ever since then, Dalton has made the decision to come back to Rome Research. Woohoo! And there is a video explaining why, mainly due to the block level features, but besides that, I still feel that this conversation still needs to be heard. So, without further ado, let's dive into my chat with Dalton Maybury. We are probably coming in a very interesting angle, at least for me, mainly because you stopped using it or yeah. you stopped committing to it. I think maybe right. that's that's a better way to say that's it. A, that's a better way to put it. Yeah, That, that is a better way to put it um, because we, we don't know in the future, especially with all these new note-taking apps uh, specifically coming out and really giving birth to this amazing space that is network thinking tools. Yeah, How they articulate it may be very different and the communities that gather around these tools uh, may result in a di- very different disp- experience depending on you know what you're looking for which is which Definitely. is fantastic so we can always get right into it dalton welcome to rome fm uh are you ready <laughs> yes let's do it i'm ready all right now normally we start off with a little bit of time travel because to set the context for how you stumbled into Rome, there has to be a time when there was no such thing as a network yes. thought thinking tool or network note-taking app in your workflow, in your life, in your work, etc. So could you tell me a little bit of your origin story? How did you get obsessed with note-taking and stumbling into the tool yeah. Rome? Yeah, so... Um in 2017, I read a uh, book. It was like the first book. I, that's the year I graduated high school. So it's the first book that I read for fun, so to speak. And uh, it was just, it's so interesting to read a book for fun. Like I j- it just blew me away how fun it was. And um, I was working or interning at a church. And so kind of leadership, um, investing your time, kind of discipline was a, a pretty big topic that I was getting taught. And so I stumbled across people like James Clear, um, a lot of his writing, his book, Jim Collins, he's like a business researcher. And so I read a ton of books from like 2017 to 2018, uh, 2019, and didn't really do anything with that information. 
but I, but it was cool to say like, I'm 19, 20 years old. Like I'm reading all these books. Um, it was just like a nice thing to do, read a ton, learned a lot. And, um, I was like, but there was no community. And I was like, there's gotta be a way for me to organize all this information. Like whether it be writing articles, uh, writing blog posts, like people like James Clear, I loved because he talked about habits, but it was from so many different angles. Like there's no way he came up with all that information. It's all his, his thoughts and ideas, synthesizing pieces from other people. Um, and I was, I was fascinated with kind of that way of thinking and writing and into kind of late 2019, I stumbled across notion and was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is it. Cause I tried Evernote. Um, but it was, it, there was just no way to organize all the books and podcasts and articles I read like in an easy way. So then I stumbled across notion and I was like, this is it. This is the app that's going to change my life. Like, so I loaded all my books and stuff in there and it was, it was still like, okay, like it was much better than Evernote, but it still is like, something is missing. I don't know what, but something is missing. And I was listening to, um, the Ali Abdal and his brother's podcast, not overthinking. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but, um, uh, yeah. and his brother, yeah, his, uh, his brother mentioned Rome and I was like, this is it. Like, I got to check this out. So he just talked a little bit about it. So, um, I got home, Googled like Rome note taking or whatever, and it popped up and I was, and I made like two pages. I made a page for God in the Bible and I linked God to the Bible and it, I was like, I was blown away, like flabbergasted <laughs> at how like Bible was automatically linked to God or like whatever way I did, but I didn't touch it. Like it just automatically happened. Like how did that, I was, I was like, this is, this is going to revolutionize my notes. And this was in um, probably end of February, early March of this year. So right around like kind of quarantine COVID time. And I remember I was at a friend's house and I showed him and he was like, cool. Like he just didn't understand like how cool the, the backlinking was. I started taking some notes, doing some morning pages inside of Rome and then found a couple of tutorials on YouTube, not a ton, but there were a couple. And I was like, well, this is, and I'm a video editor kind of by trade. That's what I do for work. So like, this seems like a huge space for me to get into of just creating tutorials. So that I started kind of learning what I was, you're doing what I was learning on Rome and then just making videos about it. And then got a, a pretty fun YouTube channel. Now that's where I spend my time making tutorials on different apps and stuff. So Wow. Okay. I yeah. like that you've tried it by doing page one, God, page two, Bible, and then linking <laughs> it. And I feel like I I could visualize it, that it clicked in your head when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, well, cause I remember, and I looked at the daily, uh, the graph too. And I, I told my friend, I was like, look at today's like March 1st and like Bible is linked to March 1st, but it's also linked to God and vice versa. And I remember writing a sentence with Bible in it. And I linked one more, one uh, kind of block. And then the next block, I wrote another sentence and I didn't link it. And I like showed him the unlinked references, how it like searches your database and shows you unlinked stuff. And I, it was, it was so cool. I was, it was, I was blown away. It was brilliant. Wait, so was your friend also interested in note-taking apps or is it just no, a matter of uh, just sharing? Oh, I look. thought he, honestly, yeah, yeah, I thought he was. Cause I showed him Notion when I was super excited about Notion. I, I, I kind of have like four or five, like really good, like buddies, uh, all of them were in my wedding. And this was one of them. And he's like the most kind of the only one really that knows how to like work a computer other than Google something. So he's like a really good friend in that way. So I show, I thought he would love it, but he was like, cool. Like let's move on with the evening type of thing. So it was kind of funny. Oh, I'm really, I'm really interested as to why there wasn't really much of a response there. And I think it's because notion visually makes much more sense at first. At oh, surface 100%. level. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's a and he's a designer, graphic designer by trade. So okay. like looking at Rome in its early stages, like, dude, that app sucks. Like <laughs> it is not 
not nothing compared to what Notion had like visually. Yeah, Rome is not the prettiest thing, especially okay if we're talking about February, March at the time. It was right. still beta. It was yeah, very new. It it was it was ugly, and people were hacking around with workarounds and CSS, and only then right. the team was like, "Oh, people want a prettier version." And then and then people like more and more signups came about because they saw how right. pretty people's rooms can be. Um, yeah, but to get past the filter of Despite the ugly UI, I can visualize how this can help me with my note-taking workflow, and I can visualize how you know the potential behind it because you know in the end the potential is what sold uh, the potential right, is what yeah, sells exactly. it to a lot of Rome users. Oh, yeah. okay. I really, I really, I, I'm still blown away by the fact that you just went page one, page two, link. Oh, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it, and then I guess Remote yeah. has been around for a little bit. And that, yeah. that kind of does the same thing in like Wikilinks or like Tiddlywink, uh, I think that's what it's called. And I, I've never used any of those. So that it's just kind of like the automatic backlinking was crazy, crazy to me. And on that note, if past the aha moment, uh, past really, I'm not sure if you were secretly trying to persuade your friend as well to try to join, but uh, realizing just how powerful it is, we might as well go right into your workflow because yeah. well, at the time, because you may have a ton of use cases on top of it and it may fit to many different contexts, but assuming that you have a lot of different kinds of things that you're interested in and, or you also use it for say a task list or project management or something like that. But could you walk me through your workflow? If you find yeah. information on the net or, you know, on when Googling something, how does that go into your Rome and how do you process it? Right. Yeah. So when, um, when I was still using Rome, going to preface that, um, I, I really, I didn't use it. I tried to use it as a task manager in a to-do list. Uh, you could do kind of the check boxes, but I didn't like it a ton. It felt like way too much friction to add tasks and keep it all organized. So I, I, I kept that kind of my life organization in notion. Rome was really my, um, kind of developing thoughts, developing ideas, taking notes on articles or podcasts. So say I would come across an article, say David Perel, like wrote a new article on, on whatever David Perel writes articles on everything. Um, so if I was, were to read it, then I would read it then. If not, I would save it to like Instapaper and would typically, oh, I always keep everything on my daily notes. So if I come across an interesting article, I always write like, um, came across this article by, and then make a new page, uh, David Perel on, and then kind of give a topic, uh, make a new page for the topic it's on. And I like to do that because I, I, I like to have that structure of, every note is attached to a daily note page because you go to your daily or the graph overview, it kind of keeps it a little bit, a little bit more organized. Um, so that was kind of my workflow. And then I'll open that up and then add the metadata, like author, uh, source, the URL notes, tag, stuff like that. And then we'll just start reading, um, the article in one window and then having my notes up kind of split screen up in the other window and do it. Um, like if the article was kind of split off into headings, I would do the headings and then go in and fill in information. And so any um, stuff that was written by the author, any like basically direct quotes, I would try to paraphrase the best I could, put in my own words, and then write that underneath the heading. And any direct quotes I wanted to take, I would always highlight those, um, copy and paste them, and then basically nest those underneath kind of my own thought Cause I didn't, when I looked back at my notes, I wanted to be able to see my own thought, my own kind of synthesis of the article and then be able to drop down the toggle to see what the author wrote in his article. 
I, I can have, I can visualize that. That's actually really amazing because you make it very distinct which notes are yours and which notes are direct quotes and right. or sorry, no, direct quotes from the source so that you can distinguish between who is thinking in this block and right. where where are my thoughts surrounding this block and you know nest that underneath. And I guess that creates a really amazing thread of well one, how did I react or respond to this piece of information? And two, what can I do with that information? Do you actually do anything with the information like once it goes out of Rome, like if you apply to something else? Yeah, so typically if, usually there's um, sub paragraph or a subheading in most articles that I want to write, either write an article about or do like a tweet storm about. I do a, a lot of like tweet threads. Um, so basically take a blog post and condense it into a tweet thread. And, or make a YouTube video on it. Those are kind of the three kind of, I guess, my outputs of blog, tweet, thread, or a YouTube video. And so what I'll do is if there's a block um, or a quote or something that sparks an idea in me, I always had master pages. So I had like master podcast pages where all my podcasts were linked to. Um, same thing for articles, books, uh, people that I tagged in my room. And I would differentiate those from other random pages by using an emoji in the front so if I saw an emoji, I knew that was my master page, if that makes sense. Okay, so the master page would have its own level of organization, right? Because you yeah, yeah, have... Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, so the master page wouldn't have necessarily any information on it. It would just be a master page for me to backlink to. So I, I had one page for blog post ideas and one for YouTube video ideas. So if there was a kind of a sentence or a paragraph that I came across in an article... I would copy and paste that kind of paragraph, um, jot down my own thoughts, and then tag YouTube video idea or blog post idea, depending on which kind of one I wanted to facet through. And then when I was ready to start researching the next YouTube video or start researching the next blog post, I would go to those either master pages and then look through kind of like, oh, this paragraph in um, one of like Tiago Forte's article on digital note taking, how to take a proper digital note. Then I would go like, oh yeah, that sounds interesting to me this week. Or I want to make a video on that or blog post on that. So then I would go research that topic. Oh, wow. Actually, you're giving me ideas. I didn't think about using the LinkedIn box as a way to backlog ideas. Because for me, what yeah. I would do is that I would have it all under one tag, not separate tags that are deferred by format. The, the way that I would oh, so at least visualize like this- yeah, just like idea. Okay, uh, okay. The way that I would do it is prompt, actually. So okay. anything that's considered a prompt, I tag it as prompt because it elicits you know, some kind of response or some kind of level of thinking. And I would right. tag it as a, as a prompt. And later on, I can look at just that one tag prompt and then look back at the backlog of all the total prompts. But then mm -hmm. the way that I would filter it is that I would have a second separate tag. So hashtag video. Or hashtag blog. Well, oh, and hashtag blog post. Yeah. Through those. So it's two separate. But then actually, it might be easier to hmm. It might be easier to have it this way because that way you you emphasize organization at the top by focusing it on the master page for ideas through a certain format instead of forcing an organizational structure through, oh, this can be. Right, and an idea, one or the other, yeah. but but then from there, that's another step of what format can it be? Oh, okay, right. okay. I like yeah. I like the and I, yeah. I thought about doing it that way too because yeah. some some of the articles or some of the ideas they can be both blog posts and videos, 
Yeah. But if they were to be that, they would be too, to- like I would take one angle on a blog post and take completely different one on a video. They're going to be two different, might be the same topic, but two different kind of paths. Hmm. Um, and so that's why I would always do YouTube videos or a blog post idea. And then with the obviously differentiate with the emojis kind of help me see this is the right one. And I would do the same thing with quotes too. Um, like I take uh, notes in Kindle. And so I would export those from book session and then, um, uh, copy them as a uh, markdown and then upload them as Rome and Rome pages. And then if there's a quote from a book that I liked or I wanted to remember, then I would take that block and then just backlink the ma- my master quotes page. So whenever I was looking for a quote or just wanted some inspiration or something fun to like do, then I would go to my master quotes page, look through the backlinks and see some fun quotes from books that I've taken notes on. Ah, uh, okay. I see. Oh, wow. Even a master quotes page. Wow. You're giving me a lot of ideas. Wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's actually amazing. Yeah, of course, wow. yeah. yeah. My pleasure. So you mentioned that you worried about, you worried about duplicating one potential idea if you're doing it in multiple formats, right? Just now when, if you were to, because you separate it already by the very first tag or the very first hierarchy of tag by saying the, or specifying the format before you say, this is an idea. You say, this is a video idea instead of a, this is a blog idea, or instead of just saying an idea and then the second format. Um, right. The reason why I don't do your method is because I think of every single prompt or every single source of inspiration as speculative. And that sets a spine or what I call in my own capturing system, a right. skeleton so that that skeleton can be reused or repurposed into different formats. Okay. So yeah. So the formats then will be tagged later on. Once I have one big main piece of content, let's just say like a long form right. essay or something like that. If, if we go from like one quote, I, I mean, my assumption is this, if you and I look at the same quote, maybe it's something by James clear. We both right. want to write something about it, right? Yeah. If I take it, maybe your best way to articulate your message would be either a really good YouTube video or one really good blog post. And if you want to do the other, would you have to duplicate that source again so that you can redo the whole process? Uh, what do you mean duplicate that source? So if you have the same quote and mm-hmm. you do you only stick to one format when you want to use that? Oh, no. Oh, no, not okay, at all. Okay. okay no, so okay. I'll, if, if there is one, um, like I'm, I'm now, I'm in the process of taking my, all my YouTube videos and moving them to blog posts just so I have kind of both. So what I'll do is I'll okay, just okay. tag blog post ideas, video ideas just next to it. That's, they're, ah, they're both okay, linked. Okay. So makes it easy. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I just confused myself completely there. Oh, uh, okay. No. okay. <laughs> <All good. laughs> no, no, I, I, I like, I like that we are. I, I like I like the banter between different like people's different note taking systems because I, I've always right. looked at people's abilities to try to create something out of somebody else is an expression of their willingness to remix something that they've observed. Yeah. And that's really, really huge, especially when even if we look at the same source, we will interpret it differently. We will use Speaking different of blog post ideas. That's that's one right there. You just said it. All right. Okay. Yeah, that, that's uh that's from I, well, I remixed that from, uh, I think, a documentary called Everything is a Remix, I think, which is something that you might be interested in. Yeah. yeah. I, I can send you that later on. Oh, let, me, let me just write that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, that's um, Everything is a Remix is set on the foundation that creativity is built on the foundation of other people's creativity. So yep. 
creativity is then defined as your ability to remix, synthesize, and or blend in other people's works to create something through your perspective. And that in itself is creativity. It's, it's funny that you brought up Ali Abdal because I've actually just had a call with him for Room FM. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's, that episode's coming that's out cool. in a few weeks. And awesome. we were just talking about creativity. Yeah, like we were talking about traditional forms of creativity where everything must be original. But mm-hmm. I see that definition being broken down, especially when we always look at a lot of these main evergreen sources of information because they are tried and true. Like right. years of knowledge from stoicism or years of yeah. knowledge from history and you know accuracy is a whole other thing but at least these are this is knowledge that is passed down um right and you have these spheres of influences that would share these sources of knowledge but interpret it in their own way and we look Mm -hmm. at them thinking wow they're so creative or like wow they're so great but in actual fact they are great but they are just really great at re-articulating the value that is given by each knowledge yeah so yeah there's a working, I mentioned earlier, I intern at a church, uh, currently work there now, but one of the theology kind of professors there told me, and I was obsessed with kind of uh, apologetics and theology and like really learning like the, the deep roots of it, like the old thousand year old roots. And he was like, uh, he's like, listen, like Christianity has been around for 2000 years. If any, like if anyone comes up with something like completely new, it's probably heresy. Like there is no new idea out in the world. There's just different ways of interpreting each idea that's been around in the Christian church, which makes like different sermons from different people so great because people interpret them in their own way and then different powerful effects on people who come see them or listen to them or whatever. Hmm, okay. That's interesting that he worded it that way. Is it considered a new idea if it comes from no original source or does it, is it considered a new idea if you actually make the effort to trace it back to something as evergreen as Christianity. And the reason why I'm asking that is because to what extent can we create new ideas, like let's say 200 years into the future or 500 years into the future or a thousand years into the future, are we going to see such a huge saturation of people who may not be, shall we say, original thinkers? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting because I've been doing some research yeah. earlier uh, on, on kind of personal knowledge management in that area. And it's, I think it, the ton of academic papers like written in the early nineties and they say it, it like it begins with data, like information begins with data or knowledge begins with data. And then each person adds their own original context to that data to get information. And then each person adds their own understanding to that information to get n- new knowledge and then each person adds their own personal knowledge or adds their own personal wisdom to that knowledge. And then new knowledge is formed basically. So it's like, I think there, there can be a definition of a, a quote unquote new idea, yeah. but most likely someone somewhere has thought about it, wrote about it, done something about it in a super niche topic. But because you're taking your perspective and taking it from like, grass-fed only beef farming to how to take notes in a more productive way probably a lot of the same systems there they're just in such different contexts that the knowledge seems so different so then it will be more about the application of set knowledge in a new field and or application of set knowledge in a new in a new context 
and or a different context altogether. Yeah. And we see creativity or we see new idea in right. the differences between those, right? Is that? Yep. yep. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, I think so. Because if you look on YouTube, like there's thousands of Notion tutorials, but yeah, each yeah. person explains how to use Notion a different way and apply each different kind of function of Notion in their own unique like skill set, which applies to a certain level of audience who now think that this YouTube creator came up with this brilliant way to use Notion, but he just took something from someone else's or from three different other people's and applied them in a different, like his own personal way. And there we go. New ideas formed. Yeah. And the differences may not even have to be that much, but it's, it's, dis, it's distinct enough right. that yeah, yeah, people yeah. would actually and, follow them as a result. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the key. It, it, like there's a, there's, have you, do you know who Austin Kleon is? Yes. Yeah, I do. Author that show your work um, or still like an artist. Still like an artist. He, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he's got those couple books. And it's like, he says, uh, steal, don't copy. Like that's kind of his thing. Like steal sources, steal different sources and synthesize them, but don't copy, blatantly copy someone else's work. And uh, Jack Butcher today on Twitter tweeted some like entrepreneur Instagram took like blatantly stole one of his posts and just reiterated it. I don't know if you saw that, but it's like, that's not, that's not creative. No one's going to think that you're genius for doing that. But like, so that's where the personal information, the personal stories, the personal context comes into play on century old ideas from stoicism, whatever, into 2020 thinking. Yeah, I, I love this because we are going into a fundamental level or at least the most empirical form of what is considered mimicry and what is considered originality. And in, I guess from a societal perspective, it's kind of hard to simplify everything down to are you original or are you not? Or it's kind of hard to really boil someone down to whether or not they're copying or they're just following somebody else's formula. Maybe it's with the intent to learn and that's perfectly fine. Or maybe it's, you know, with harmful intent as in they just copy everything, literally everything right. down to 100%. Yeah. You know, that shows their malicious intent uh, to copy other people. And we circle this back to network thought thinking tools, or I don't know how you say it at this point. Um, from the advent of Rome, we see the possibility for network thinking tools. You can probably correct me uh, if I'm wrong, but from knowing about Rome, I've become introduced to other alternatives. And and I don't want to say competitors in any way because we these tools fit uh, specific use cases, but we have like mm -hmm. RemNote, we have Obsidian, and we have many, um, many other tools that have similar features and or even the same feature. But there is a difference here, a difference there. Yep. Maybe it's the people. I, I'm not sure. Yep. But that's distinct enough that people would gather... They would rather gather to those communities or those sources as opposed to maybe Rome. So I want to talk about how you switched from Rome to Obsidian. And uh, Rome yeah. Cult may hang me from this. Uh, you seem very fascinated by this topic. Yeah, yeah, I, I am. And, and, I'm, and I'm being very serious. So here, here's a preface. This show is not affiliated with Rome Research. I have to, I have to be clear uh, for anyone okay. listening. Um, Rome FM is... Basically, my contribution to, of, of course, hashtag room cult, but, but the people around the network thought space. That is a very clear distinction. Sure, I have Rome in it, and I may have a certain bias because I myself use Rome. But I really wanted to ask 
about why you've stopped using Rome and moved to Obsidian mm -hmm. because that maybe throughout you know this conversation we can really boil it down to just how are people viewing the community in general and if it's going to be something negative or it's going to be something positive or a mix of both it's better to have it out there for people to know and be aware right. of so that we can work towards a better version or a more improved and positive and win-win version so right could you tell me yeah. why did you move out from rome yeah yeah thanks thanks for prefacing that i was uh just before we jumped on the call i was telling my wife i was like honestly i'm scared i'm gonna say something like around this topic that's gonna piss everyone off and they're <laughs> just gonna all hate on me on twitter so i'm glad you, you prefaced that but um yeah you kind of mentioned it in the real reason i switched was the people um the people around the app the community i saw a ton. I just, I don't, I don't want to say a ton, but quite a few insta instances on Twitter with um, like the founder of Rome, kind of the, the, the heavy power users, people who are super active on Twitter. And you could tell they used Rome and just a lot of it, I it like just rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't see it like very kind. It didn't seem like people were in it to help other people learn and take better notes. Um, someone told me, I don't remember who it was, but it, they said it had like a very uh, elitist vibe. I'm doing like air quotes. And that's kind of how it felt. Like I'm a part of Rome. I use this for network thought and I'm use these, I embed blocks. So I'm better than you. Like that's, that's kind of like oh, the vibe okay. that me and like, honestly, I, a lot of people have messaged me, um, whether it be on Twitter or left a uh, YouTube comments on the video I made talking about why I switched from Rome research to obsidian saying the exact, just basically agreeing with me and saying the exact same thing and telling me stories of stuff that they either saw or were like involved with, uh, around the community. So that was the main reason, uh, just the people, the community, and especially, and I, I love Rome, uh, using it. Um, and I was, I kind of got in before the paywall, and, but before they, they closed down the gate. So I was still like in the, I was, I could still use it for free. And, but it was like $15 a month for that's, that's a good amount of money to spend on software. Like that's, that's yeah. a good chunk and change. And if I want to spend it, I want, it, I want it to be on something. I love a community. I want to support a company. I want to basically invest my time and, uh, and money into. And I just didn't, I didn't find that with Rome and I didn't want to keep basically like sucking off the free version. I didn't, I don't know, something about that rubbed me the wrong way too. So yeah, I decided to, uh, to make the switch over from Rome to Obsidian. And there were other couple other things like having it on my desktop versus a browser. Um, for me, I just like that a ton and not really a huge reason of why it just, I kind of prefer it over having it open in like Chrome or Safari. Um, so yeah, that's the main reason that was the people. This is genuinely, I'm genuinely fascinated by this. And, and I can see this elitist vibe myself, but I didn't want to bring it up. It's not like I'm scared of bringing it up or anything. Right. I wanted to, I wanted you to talk about it because you are a, you are a real world example of just seeing a community that is gathering around such a powerful tool and amazing tool and mm. just getting a negative response to it, or at least a mm. negative experience. And I don't want to, that to happen. And I'm not trying yeah. to like, I'm not trying to drag you back like, oh, please come back. No, yeah. I, I, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because we need to surface up instances where people are just being elitist uh, right. and or unhelpful to other right. members of the Rome community because Rome is so versatile that it can help anyone and everyone, Definitely. regardless of technical totally ability, agree. regardless of use case, regardless of whether or not you're a power user, 
right? We have people who, I think I saw someone who was like retired and trying to trying to upload yeah, their yeah. digital notes to save like their memory. Like that's that's crazy. Like you're, are you going right. to bash on somebody who's going to have a different use case than you? No. So right. I absolutely despise elitist vibes. So yeah. seeing that come up in the Rome community is something that I absolutely hate. Uh, so, and if, if, if Dalton, after this conversation, if anyone is messaging you to like, shit on you for leaving it you point them to me i'm gonna call them up because okay. like i i am really not a fan of this like i can get quite emotional about this because i've had this happen in like other tools and after software some years ago yeah and I, the yeah. last time the, the last thing i want to happen is for that to happen to somebody else who is just ousted by the community for for not you know uh bearing the Rome badge because they're not a power right. user and they're proud that they're spending 15 bucks a month well screw you guys like i'm in a yeah. developing country I mean, I'm not going to say developing country, but I'm in a country where it's like four times the currency. So I'm paying yeah. like a lot uh, for Rome. And uh, not only in Twitter and on YouTube as well, I'm seeing other channels where there are comments by people who are sick of seeing Rome videos. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if you've seen this, but if you know the Keep Productive channel, it's yeah. Ran, yeah, ran by Francesco, um, who is someone I would love to talk to about the show uh, on the yes. show. Um <laughs> He I got tried to comments him on Twitter, but I didn't. I didn't get a response. So yeah, yeah, he's he's really busy, and he's just had a kid. <laughs> yeah, for so sure. yeah, so a lot in his plate right now. Um, I've I watched some of his videos uh, on Rome because obviously I'm YouTube surfing and wasting my life. But right. a lot of his comments, <laughs> a lot of the comments have quite a number of backlash against Rome. Yeah, They're saying I didn't like, see that. Yeah, I, I can show it to you like later on. I, yeah, I'll there, have to I'll have to check that out. Um. It's mainly the Rome tours and yeah, keep yeah, productive. Yeah. I know. It's, yeah. yeah. Okay. So they'll say like, oh, I'll unsubscribe if you keep showing Rome videos. I'm sick of Rome. And what they didn't specifically say why. Yeah, that's what but, I was curious. But you can probably guess or predict that it's the overall impression of Rome. Like these are users who have not tried the tool, but mm-hmm. they're only lens into the tool is maybe keep productive channel and or other YouTube channels around the note-taking space. So uh, as creators, you'd be in the position to want to tell people about Rome or about Obsidian or Notion, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a great place for them to hang around. But if they are sick of seeing Rome videos, there's something wrong there. Like, I don't think anyone anywhere has said, I'm sick of seeing Notion videos because they can easily just like ignore it or something like that. So yeah. That's interesting. That's a, yeah. I'd, I'd be curious to know what's kind of behind that. And I know they did uh, like a couple, uh, I guess a couple, probably a couple of weeks ago, Key Productive did like a Rome week where every day they post a new video in Rome. Yeah. And that's where they did those tours. So it could be stop posting videos on this or yeah. there's something else kind of behind that. So I'd be curious to know what's behind that as well. Yeah. And I mean, I'd be curious to even like DM the, the commenters, but then, you know, YouTube comments, they're not exactly the nicest uh, no, dude. environments. Uh. <laughs> it's, it's the worst. Absolute the worst. I hate YouTube comments. <laughs> so how are you handling a YouTube channel now if you're doing a lot of, you know, productivity tech note-taking apps? Yeah, um, yeah so, so that's why I started was, uh, was Rome. And it was kind of cool because, I mean, I didn't really see many people kind of showing this app. So I just started uploading videos and saw a, a pretty good, like a following and audience being built up, um, which was new to me because I was pretty new to YouTube. 
And it was cool because once I had kind of that audience of people note-taking productivity, I was able to expand out a little bit from instead of just doing Rome videos, I could expand out and I could do Rome and Notion videos. And then once I kind of got some Notion users, then I could expand out from Rome starting to Notion and then a little bit out to more kind of um, productivity slash task managing kind of like tips. And that's kind of where I'm at currently. Um, almost sort of like the keep productive kind of what they're doing. I really love their channel and I think it's really cool. They have kind of guests and interviews on. I don't think I'm at a place now. My channel is pretty still like pretty small um, where I could have a ton of guests on and I don't know if that would be cool. So we'll see. I don't know. Kind of staying in that like productivity and tech space. Um, that's another thing too is I've kind of expanded a little bit to talk about tech, what's going on in the world of tech slash startups. Um, fascinated with that. So I'm kind of mix that in a little bit as well to see kind of what audience is there. But interesting. I've, uh, I've got some interesting, interesting comments. Most people are pretty nice. I, I got a, a comment yesterday that said, uh, I didn't know Eminem's brother started uh, a tech YouTube channel. I thought that was pretty <laughs> funny. I was like, that's a pretty good comment. Uh, but there was another one. There was another one. Some guy was like, stop talking so much. You, you like, you tell too many effing stories. Just get to the point. And there's just people like that that I'm like, why like just skip it like you you can skip it or just go watch someone else's video so i I was youtube commenters are hilarious i always find it so fascinating but to be fair if you're getting a variety of youtube comments i mean as long as there's great positive ones which i mean eminem was actually pretty good um yeah yeah but to have negative comments as well as positive comments it shows that you are polarizing viewers and that's actually a very good thing because That's that's true that's a filter for making more videos for the people who will like it as opposed right. to the videos for people who, you know, who will rage on the keyboard and right. yeah. want you to pander to their needs. And yeah. And there, there are helpful. I got one early this week. Um, if some, somebody said, Hey, like, I love your videos, but you could like work on your enunciation a little bit. It's kind of hard to understand you. I'm like, that's a great comment. Like, yeah, it's kind, it's productive. And even the other guys saying, I tell too many stories, maybe I do need to speed it up and get to the point. But there's like, there's just so many other ways to say it. So, but yeah, that's a good point of trying to figure out kind of who my viewer base is and what I need to start creating more content around. Yeah, it's getting the constructive comments are probably the best one. And I forgot there was a quote and I forgot the exact wording, but it was, it's something like your enemies will tell you the truth no matter what or something along those lines. Because mm. it's to emphasize that sometimes positive comments or at least comments from friends who have a bias with you right. like, or against you because they don't want to, you know, risk your their relationship with you may mm-hmm. not tell you the truth, but enemies will always tell you the truth other than the the usual trolls because uh, let's just right. disregard their existence for a yeah, second. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, on the note of um, getting guests for the show, honestly, you should just go straight into that because people would love to talk about either Rome or even Obsidian or even Notion, even setups yeah. or even have a great conversation as long as you have the intent to publish it in a way where it's recorded. And I've noticed right. this when I was launching a new show, I barely had anything in terms of, I mean, this is like show number four or number five or something like that. But all I had was a landing page and an episode one. I mean, this is a podcast. So episode one is just explaining, oh, what's it about? Why? Right. Et cetera. What am I looking for? What kind of conversations? And there's a landing page. It's like, oh, I'm looking for guests. They must be like this, 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 this. And uh, here are some examples of what I've done before. Let me know what you think. And I think I got like, 20 people applied. Oh, wow. And this is 
a completely different platform. It's like a hmm. it's a it's an old guest seeking website that is now defunct, so you can't find it anymore. But okay. but twenty people, like twenty people, willing to That's... like actually register. So if yeah. it, if you want to get guests, you might as well just go straight into like you know cold DMing someone and saying, "Hey, I have this channel. We're growing. You know, we're working on these kinds of videos. Would you want to get on a call to talk about this? Is this and I'll upload it as a video. Yeah, something like that. Pretty yeah. simple. Yeah. Pretty short. I. Honestly, highly recommend that you get guests on. Okay. All right. I'll think about it. I think a lot of it was, I mean, confidence. Even when I started creating, it was like, I'm, I don't have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. So I appreciate that. But isn't that kind of your background? Is it in podcasting? I thought you host another show. Is that right? Yeah. I host like, I host like five shows. So okay. I have like five to six shows under my belt and three of them are interview based. So reaching out to guests is really normal to me and honestly the the biggest secret is keep it short keep it friendly and make it useful for them actually like if you just condense i mean i can always like go straight into like techniques or methods or anything but really most of the time when someone wants to guest on a show they either want to engage in a conversation create something useful which is you know an evergreen video or a podcast of of them sounding really smart and intelligent yeah (laughs) uh, and or both right so if you have already a warm relationship with someone that you want them to guest on the show or guest on the YouTube video conversation or something like that, that's a lot easier. They would prefer reason one because they know that they can engage in an amazing conversation with you. Whereas if it's someone cold, you have to make it so that it's worth their time to spend one hour with you. Right. Or it's worth being part of their routine. Like as an example, oh, oh yeah, yeah, actually... If you're worried about confidence, it's best that you get rid of that ASAP by just cold DMing someone big like James Clear. Yeah. Because <laughs> because 95% of the time, actually with James Clear, it'll be like 98% of the time, right. he will say no. Like he yeah. will reject you, right? Yeah, 100%. Get used to that no. Then you'll build yeah. your confidence. Like I, I've built All my right. confidence by just emailing high profile people and then just getting ignored, rejected and being like, oh, right. this is normal. Right. Um, yeah. It's mostly around. Advice, the, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's mostly around the fear of the fear of rejection. And then you have to build that muscle of resistance of uh, trying to go against that rejection. So, yeah. Yeah. What kind of uh, what kind of guests are you looking for? Um, I don't know. That's I think that's something I have to think about, too. Um, um, okay. But yeah, I mean. I think I mainly love kind of productivity and tech. So I'm honestly, I'm looking for someone who wants to kind of banter about tech, um, just like what's going on in the world of tech and startups. Do you know who Anthony uh, Pompliano is? Uh, yes. Yes. The Pomp Podcast. Pomp, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Pomp. Uh, so he does this like the lunch money thing every day on YouTube, um, which I think is cool. I, I'm pretty sure it's his wife who he does it with. And they just kind of banter about business, uh, tech kind of startups. And it's a really fun kind of neat idea. So that's something I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do it like every day. But that's something I'd love to do. Kind of have someone on either like basically a co-host or someone on like once a week and just talk to them about what they think about what's going on in tech. And then so but that's kind of like the niche I'm trying to focus on is productivity slash tech. That's my my area. I'm trying to kind of continue to create and consume and build an audience around. Do you have anyone in mind that, I mean, other than the high profile guest, but at least someone that you think is reachable? Cause uh, the, not, not, not really. I haven't given it a ton of thought yet. Okay. All right. That's all. Okay. Uh, we'll, yeah. We'll okay. continue this. We'll continue this conversation. Cause I love to chat more with you about it. 
of course. Yeah. And uh, well, I went on a huge tangent there and I have no clue where I am, <laughs> but I do have to ask um, on the video of, I mean, not to, not to, not to crap on the elitist vibe or anything like that, but there, there's something that you brought up in, in your YouTube video about moving from Rome to Obsidian. And mm-hmm. one of the advantages for Obsidian is that your notes are future proof. Mm, yes. So that's a very specific way of describing that. And I would love to hear what's your take on future proofing notes and how can something like Rome or any other note taking tool uh, take the first steps towards future proofing, you know, your experience. Yeah. Yeah. So this is actually something I got from kind of the future proofness of someone in the Obsidian Discord, some random person I asked like, hey, what, what's, what are some reasons you chose Obsidian over the other eight 10 like good note-taking apps there are. And that was someone's comment was the future proofness of, of uh, Obsidian. And I thought that fascinating because it's, it's true with, with Notion. If for some reason, if Notion crashes and, and this probably isn't going to happen, it's an established software, but say if it were to happen, I would no longer have any of my stuff unless I back it up, download everything like every day or even like every kind of four hours onto like a Dropbox folder in Markdown, you can do that notion. Like I'm not going to have any of my kind of uh, video ideas, like none of the ideas I'll have versus in Obsidian. If something happens with the platform or whatever, I can no longer maybe access them in Obsidian, but I still have them all on Markdown files on my laptop that I can open up in any text editor, copy and paste them and make basically what I have in my Obsidian and just make a Google Drive like folder kind of structure in the same way. And so the future proofness, the ability that, if I take a note like now, as long as I maintain my software or my kind of hardware in my storage, cloud storage, or whatever, over 10, 20, 30 years, like my kids are going to be able to see that. My grandkids are going to see like notes I took, which I think is just a really neat idea, which is something I, I never really thought of until this person brought it up in the discord. Like if in when Rome was down um, before when the, the gates were like closed, but before the paywall opened, it was really spotty. Sometimes it would sink. They had an issue with syncing. Um, and this is a while ago. They don't have this problem anymore. It's great. Still working great. But um, sometimes it would sink. Sometimes it wouldn't. And if it if you close the tab before it sank and cached to your browser, you would lose all the notes that you created. And so just instances like that where you don't have that problem with Obsidian. And you can export Markdown files in Rome. I'm aware of that. But you, that's still you going in there, exporting all of your folders every single day onto your desktop um obsidian completely kind of takes all of that away yeah it's that parallel storage and or parallel saving that really works well with obsidian and yeah to preface i also use obsidian so that's that's also something that people might not know i use obsidian for not block specific notes so once i export from rome i would have it as a complete note and or make final changes on that markdown file and have it on dropbox and it will always sync no matter what I do with it. And those markdown files can be accessed anywhere. Um, nice. It's a good system. Yeah. Because uh, I'm, I'm sick of Google Drive, but that's a whole other story. But yeah, uh, markdown files, I've always been working with it since, you know, ages ago. But I never thought about making it more cloud related, uh, especially with Obsidian and Rome and Notion yeah. and all of this. So it's nice to know that it, it seems to me that future proofness seems like a bit like insurance in case yeah. a company just dies or is right. gone. And like the likelihood of that happening, especially Rome or Notion, Evernote, like Evernote's been around for 15 years, I think, or maybe yeah. 10, somewhere, 2004, I think it was. 2004. Um, like a very 
the likelihood of that happening is small, but I, someone in my family, I was doing some stuff on uh, notion the other day and, uh, they were like, what happens? They're like, do you save that? Like back that up anywhere else? And I was like, I don't really need to. And they were like, what if it crashes? And I was like, I don't know. That's never thought about it. It's very likely like not going to happen. It's just not, it's not how software companies work, but there's a small chance it could. Y2K, that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's like small chance, but what if, right? And right. future proofing is really just hedging yourself against that small little possibility. Right. And that yeah, small yeah. little possibility, depending on your risk adversity as an individual, is more than enough for you to think, okay, yeah. let me back up every day and let me export every day. Uh, and I mean, I take it you used, you used to look at the Rome Slack as well. So Rome Slack, a lot of people would talk about backing up every day or exporting every day yeah. to cater for not even crashes, but even syncing issues or even yeah. making sure that the cache on your browser is saved or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. I mean, we are in a we are in a moment in time when from Rome. I mean, I may be completely wrong, but from Rome, we are seeing other alternative apps that have similar features and we're seeing V1 of yeah. network thought tools and how people will articulate that sentence, network thought yeah. tool in many different ways. I'm really looking forward to something that focuses more on imagery or like visualized um, hmm. like graphic images or something like that. That would be pretty awesome. Unless Rome yeah. integrates that, then oh well. But yeah, here is to an amazing future. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I, uh, I mean, even, I mean, I discovered Notion at the end of 2019, early 2020. And then here I am later with like a full thing in Notion and Obsidian. So it's in it, even like new apps come up on Product Hunt or I stumble across an ad or something. And it's like, oh, this is like Rome. It's a little bit different, but it's still like pretty similar. So it's fun to see kind of everything and the way this whole kind of, product or uh, personal knowledge management field is developing. Yeah. And I'm sure that with your YouTube channel and your amazing tweet threads, you are going to be right <laughs> at the front uh, documenting all of this uh, for us to look at. So we are coming up on time, but I have a few segments right at the end, which uh, hopefully you didn't prepare too much for it to make it a little bit of a uh, interesting Uh-oh. answer. But yeah. the first question is, how would you describe Rome to someone who hasn't started using it yet? I would say it's like Wikipedia. It's your, it's your personal Wikipedia. That's, that's how I've described it to people. All right. Like a personal Wikipedia. If you try to explain Wikipedia to other people, that's also very difficult to, to, oh, to yeah, even yeah. do. So it's like, <laughs> it's like a landing page, like go-to source for any broad subject. Like if you Google, like today I Googled personal knowledge management and the first result is always Wikipedia. And it's a, a bunch, it's a page with descriptions, but whenever a new topic or a new person or a paper gets referenced, that link is always clickable. So you can click out and it'll either bring you to a new page where you can read that subject or it'll bring you down to the footnotes where you can click into kind of the bibliography on the Wikipedia page. And and even then, for anyone who even goes to like Wikipedia for a general surfing or anything like that, it, it'll take a while for them to get used to just surfing around Wikipedia to realize the potential that it has so much information. Yeah. And yeah. just it's imagine not, that, but your thoughts like, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. It's like, like this, but for your own, like no one else can see it. Like no, you, if you want other people can see it, but like, it's your own personal thing. Like have fun. This is like totally all your thing. So <laughs> that's, I described it to family that way, like your own personal Wikipedia. And I think people get it. I think people understand, but even to, to my friend, I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast, 
until you, like you have a reason for it, like being shown it, being explained, it's like, nah, I'll pass on that. I don't really need that right now. Yeah. And only once they have really had a taste of the potential of the tool, then they'll be like, whoa. Yeah. Oh, uh, 100%. <laughs> and final question and a twist on it. What does Rome slash Obsidian mean to you? Hmm. That's a great, I never thought about that. It's a good question. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it really helps me. I guess it obsidian means to me like a place where all of my reading, my kind of consuming goes to be created. Like in obsidian, I'm able to create my own thoughts based on an article or a podcast I've read. And so it, it I'm an introvert. So like the whole like stand at home quarantine thing is like, it's been awesome for me. I've loved it. Just stand at home. <laughs> doing, like it has not been hard whatsoever. Um, and so like really getting into my thoughts and my ideas and different kind of concepts I have like means the whole world. Like that's all of, I love to think about and kind of create um, just because I'm so in my head kind of philosophical all the time. Fantastic. And having that actually put on the screen for you to have a look at it and process it and yeah, create something out of it makes it beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it makes it tangible. It's like, I'm not just wasting my life reading books. My dad makes fun of me all the time. Cause he's like, you read books. It's like, for what, like, what do you do? And so it makes it like tangible. It's like, no, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting knowledge. This is like school. Like that's kind of what it is. This is school for me, like being able to educate myself and then do something with all the information that I'm learning. So I think uh, Obsidian will be your best, like probably your solution to build your own school for yourself. Man. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Uh, Obsidian, maybe a mix of a couple other apps, but Obsidian would be the main one. And with all of these apps put together in your own ecosystem of capturing everything and creating something out of it, Dalton, thank you so much for being on here. If we want to reach out to you, to contact you, talk about anything that really we discuss in this conversation, especially on the issue of Rome cult. And I, I will call it an issue because I am not a fan once again, yeah. right? People be nice, play nice, right? Um, yeah, Dalton, what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, uh, so uh, Twitter is probably the best place to reach out. My name is just at Dalton Mabry. So just like it's spelt D-A-L-T-O-N-M-A-B-E-R-Y or you can check out my website at daltonmabry.com. But Twitter is the best place to reach out. I will respond there for sure. All right, both your Twitter and website. Of course, all of these will be in the public Rome graph right below. So Dalton, thank you. And I will see you on Twitter. Sweet, thanks. Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app. And for a full version of the show notes to this episode, you can check out the public Rome graph. The link to that will be in the description right below. For more updates, comments, feedback, and suggestions, you can reach out to me at RomeFM on Twitter. Keep roaming your thoughts, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.